the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Gennetti. Happy Monday. First day of spring, still on the NFL track. Okay. <laughs> Going to recap uh, another big weekend of, uh, I don't know, phase two of this NFL free agency. It slowed. I mentioned last week it wasn't the most impactful first week of the season we've had in, uh, I don't know, four or five years here, but plenty of bodies moving around, plenty of dollars being thrown around. Our total value on the free agent tracker is approaching $2.75 billion. Maybe the most insignificant, inconsequential number I can give you, uh, NFL total value contracts, right? Because we mentioned last week, 40% of these suckers are guaranteed at sign. So you can take that $2.7 billion, take 60% of it away and say, this is really what we're looking at here. In some cases, in most cases, nearly all cases. Every five-year deal is a two. Every three-year deal is a one. And some of these deals have a couple of dollars in year two. Some of them. Make sure you're looking at guaranteed at signings. Make sure you're reading the contract notes. Understand really what's up front, really what can happen uh, if there's a trigger look, look, looking next March, next April, things like that. We're trying to detail these things as much as possible so that you understand what the hell is going on here because $20 million in the NFL is not $20 million, unless you're a rookie in the first round. <laughs> and, uh, we're going to talk draft pools in a couple of minutes. I'm going to run through that consequence, the notable notes from free agency and some off-season numbers as well. And a good deep dive into some best availables because it's not a great list, but there's a lot of teams, especially some good teams that have holes still. And we can sit here and, and kind of softball off a tee and say they're going to wait to the draft and they've got a big board to fill in their, their needs and their holes. And yes, I think in a lot of cases that is what's going to happen. But we're at week two now and the price drops considerably. And let's get right, get right into this. There are teams that do this every year that, s- that simply sit out the game. And there are some excuses tied to it every year, but I think there's just a lot of front offices that refuse outside of a player that they absolutely must, must have, right? That one, we've seen the Patriots do this. We've seen at times Green Bay do this with a couple of edge rushers. But generally speaking, 25% of the league sits out this first week, you know, outside of bringing back their own players on team-friendly or cost-effective deals. But going outside and grabbing somebody, it's expensive. You know, signing bonus, generally a year or two guarantee. That's how the first week of free agency works for the most part. Now we're into the value part of it, truly. And if you're here, you're generally not going to hit your market value. That's usually how this works. And especially the longer you go, the longer you go, the longer you go, the less leverage you have in finding the location and the price tag that you're looking for. So we'll talk about some of those players that are available in just a few minutes. But who sat out as part of the notable notes here? Who actually uh, kind of sat on their hands here? Well, we know the Rams did. Okay. Uh, they are the least spending offseason team in the NFL right now. We knew this was coming about three weeks ago. It uh, wasn't just rumors. They put their, their uh, foot down as they said they were going to. They did trade Jalen Ramsey. They did release Bobby Wagner. They are going to try to move Allen Robinson and probably have to retain some of that salary. They did release Leonard Floyd. Uh, there was a lot of pain. Those are big, big names right there. 
So they're getting themselves cap healthy. They're getting themselves cash healthier, which I think was a big, big part of this. And they want to get younger and faster and cheaper. And I don't blame them. They, they got to their finish line, right? Task mission completed. So anything they're doing right now is gravy and it's for the next iteration. They're not trying to reattach themselves to 2020. And I give them a lot of credit for that. So where are we? The Rams are sitting on their hands. The Jacksonville Jaguars are bringing back a couple of their own players, releasing a couple of their players. But for the most part, they have not yet gone and signed an outside player. They are one of two teams, three teams, I should say, that haven't done that. The Rams, the Jaguars, and the Baltimore Ravens. And of course, that's the team we have to focus on here for a couple of minutes because the speculation is going to be, and I'm sure it's out there already, probably locally, is this just the Ravens being the Ravens? Because they are. They're one of those teams that sits on their hands for the first week and, quite frankly, doesn't really <laughs> ramp it up at any point in time in the offseason. They're not big adders. You know, they, they do utilize the trade quite a bit, which I give them a lot of respect for. I think it's smart business. But they really don't make that splash. They've done it, of course. All these teams have done it in pieces, in fragments. But this year specifically, there's a big elephant in the room attached to them sitting on their hands. They brought back four of their own on obviously modest deals. Otherwise, they wouldn't be under contract. They have not addressed the wide receiver situation in any regard. I think they like the youth and the inexpensiveness that comes with those rookie contracts. And obviously, it's Lamar, right? And you can say that Lamar's cap hit is a problem right now. I don't know. I don't know what you can. You know, I've had a lot of people clap back at me that, Quarterback contracts are still impeding. Of course they are, but they don't have to be, right? I mean, if you're happy with your situation, there's always cap room in the banana stand. Where's Lamar ranking right now in terms of total cap hit on that 32.4 million? Fourth. He's fourth, and he's going to be third in a, in a minute and a half here because Laramie Tunzel signed himself a new contract extension. He was currently third on this list. Certainly that new extension, even though it's massive, three for 75, 50 million guaranteed at signing is going to lower this 2023 cap hit. So Lamar is about to be third, top three here. So, of course, you know, that's in the category of being a problem from a team building perspective this year. It's a big, big number, 32.4 million. Are the Ravens right up against it? Of course they are, when they want to be, <laughs> right? They're at about seven and a half million at the time of this post. They, there's a couple of contracts that I still have to fill in the blanks on, really with every team. And uh, obviously, every day, three, four times a day, we're doing our best to find that kind of detail. So if you're looking at the player and there's a hole and there's a roster and there's a, a breakdown that hasn't happened yet, it's not because I'm not trying. I don't have it in my back pocket and I'm holding out for the perfect moment to post it. Um, just so just a public disservice announcement about that. I'm efforting all 32 teams, every hole, every restructure, every single you know announcement that's been made. I've got a transaction in letting me know it needs to be updated. And as soon as I have the details, it's going to get updated. So I promise you, uh, I'm not holding out here. I'm, I'm giving you my best effort with these numbers, which we'll talk about in a second here. But these Ravens, I've got one contract not yet filled in. That's Delshawn Phillips, who just signed last night. And, you know, we're talking capita probably 1-1. One, one. So let's just say, give or take, 57 players under contract, 6 million, 6.25 million of cap space on the top 51. It's on purpose. 
Okay. Ronnie Stanley could be extended, uh, restructured. Marlon Humphrey can be restructured. Mark Andrews can be restructured. There's a lot of ways to get out of this right now. They could free themselves up to 15 and 20. And they will, by the way, they will do some of these moves so that when the time is right to strike, they have a little breathing room, including the draft pool, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. They are sitting on their hands. And it's not the only time they've done this. They do this every offseason. So you can write your articles and your tweets saying that Lamar, Lamar's cap number and his franchise tag, it's actually holding back the, the team's ability to add weapons around him and properly build a defense and, and work on the edge rush that they need so badly. Okay. It is. It's third. It's going to be third in the league at the end of this day. I think Lamar's future is what's holding back the Ravens this year specifically. Now, do I believe that there's a team out there that will offer sheet Lamar Jackson that the Ravens won't match? I do not. Do I believe that the Ravens are negotiating with Lamar Jackson right now? I do. I do. I, I believe there is a Laramie Tunzel type contract coming. And I think it's going to be fully guaranteed. I just don't think it's going to be six years. And at Deshaun Watson's price. My guess here is that Lamar Jackson has finally come to terms with the fact that he does not have to get to $231 million, Right? He doesn't have to be the highest ever paid fully guaranteed contract in football. Because the Ravens simply are not going to do that. And now this, call it what you want, collusion right in the off, this offseason that is stopping offer sheets from coming in, certainly fully guaranteed ones, but none, right? Literally zero. And there's plenty of time for that. My guess is Lamar is coming back a little bit on his, on his offer. So is there a three out there? Is there a three for 150? Is there a three for 135? Somewhere in that, in that regard with a couple of void years to do some damage on the cap. I, I think this is happening. I'm hoping, I'm hoping we get there. I think that's a wonderful, wonderful compromise for both sides. I don't think in any regard that the Ravens want to move on right now because they simply don't have the backup plan. You know, they didn't do, they weren't in on Derek Carr. They weren't in on any of these trades. It's simply been about Lamar and or the next phase of our lives. Unless you believe that Tyler Hunt Huntley is going to start 17 games for this franchise, and I do not. So I realize that we're talking Lamar and that seems to be something we've done every single episode. This is a different version of that. This is now how do the Baltimore Ravens handle their business with the elephant in the room, the, the franchise tag number, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's not easy. And certainly they know a hell of a lot more about this than we all do, right? We're speculating. They have a, at least some sort of grasp on where this thing is headed. And it's very possible that they've sat down with Lamar and told him, we're going to match anything. And if you get that fully guaranteed offer sheet, we're probably going to match that too. Now, I don't believe that, but they probably said that out loud as a, as a vote of confidence that this is truly their guy. Do I think they should trade him? You already know my answer on that. I believe they should. I believe they should find a trade partner and get two first round picks and move on from this mess so that they can have a better handle and, and operate the business they want to do, which is obviously not something they want to change. Get a guy who can come in here, who, who will take, you know, meet your, your demands and your structural needs. That's not the craziest thing in the world. And honestly, it's not even that much of a slap on Lamar Jackson. You're going to find him a home. You're going to get some draft picks for him. And he's going to get his contract with the new team. I, I think everybody would be happy in that case. So you know my stance on that. I think Baltimore should have already done this or at least ascertained this idea. Um, but I don't believe we're getting there. 
because nothing the Baltimore Ravens have done looks any different this year than it has the past five years with Lamar in tow. They're slow playing it. They're slow playing negotiations. I do think there's something active, ha- actively happening behind the scenes. And from the, uh, the salt that I'm smelling, you know, the stink that's coming off of Twitter and some of the good articles from locally, it, it really does feel like Lamar is backing down a little bit, not on the, not on the total, but on the term. And by the way, it's really smart, right? If you do a three-year fully guaranteed deal and you're probably redoing this thing in two years if everybody's happy and healthy, he's 28, going on 29 at that point in time. So you're not yet 30. So you're getting yourself a fully guaranteed Kirk Cousins type free agent contract, which is really what this is all about. Cap adjusted for inflation, everything else that's, you know, the NFL is now versus what it was five years ago. And let's all talk Kirk Cousins again. Okay. Because <laughs> Kirk Cousins, love him, hate him, you know, trust him, whatever you want to talk about him on the football field. He's a business hall of fame God. He is. All right. He's fourth on the active all-time earnings list. And he's going to get another contract next year. Now, he didn't get one this year. Okay. The Ravens finally caved and said, look, you are, we're, we're not going to go big, big, maybe not fully guaranteed like we've done the last two iterations. So he restructured Kirk Cousins. He did not accept an extension, which means he's a pending free agent in 2024. My point is the last two iterations have, or, or four iterations of Cousins have been franchise tag, franchise tag, fully guaranteed free agent contract, extent, fully guaranteed extension, fully guaranteed extension. That's been Kirk Cousins' life as the quarterback of the Redskins at the time and then the, the Minnesota Vikings. Now, he's avoided injury, and he hasn't won a bunch of ball games. You know, he's been a great regular season quarterback and a couple of playoff wins. That's his life. But I think the Ravens would take that process right now. And I think Lamar should take that process, and that's the point. I'm going back to the, uh, the soapbox. There is no need for quarterbacks in this league to lock in eight, 10, 10 year contracts. There's no need. In fact, it's reckless. It's, it's just reckless. You have the utmost importance. You have the most leverage and you're not going to lose it with an injury. And you're really not even going to lose it if you don't play that well for a season. Derek Carr, right? Derek Carr just scored himself $100 million guaranteed over the next three seasons because a new team needed a quarterback and Derek Carr was the best available option. That's going to be Kirk Cousins next year. Unless the Lamar stuff falls through and Lamar plays out this franchise tag. That's going to be Cousins next year. Love him or hate him. He's going to be the guy. And he knows it now. He has restructured instead of extended. He knows exactly where his future is headed here. So I think it's smart. I think the, the tea leaves that I'm reading with Lamar are very, very smart from both sides. The Ravens can handle high cap hits. They can do it. And they can massage some things and take on some dead cap in four years if they need to. It's possible. They are playing it close to the vest on purpose, and this is not new just because Lamar is in this situation. This is what the Ravens do. They've been doing it for a very long time, and it's been successful for them for a very long time. I don't think it's been good optics by any regard. I think they've had trouble bringing in people and trouble, obviously, with uh, how to handle a, an elite star quarterback. They haven't done that well, <laughs> okay? But they're sticking to their guns. So I think that middle ground where it's actually a fully guaranteed smaller contract is just fine, right? Why can't it just look like four franchise tags and then we're out of here? So I think that's where that's headed. 
teams that are invested in this offseason. Well, the Broncos lead the way everywhere. All right. They've got the highest total spending in the offseason. They've got the highest total spending in the free agent period. And they also have the most guarantees. They've added significantly to fix this Russell Wilson situation. And I don't blame them because there's no getting out of Russell Wilson. So you better fix everything else, right? You better make everything else look pretty damn good right now because it's a bit of a disaster everywhere else on your roster. Uh, the offensive line has been reshuffled, and you know a bunch of the names coming in, Mike McGlinchey being the big ad. We'll see. We'll see what this does on paper with the new coaching staff, uh, a good coach, and a quarterback that should be able to hold the fort down unless he truly is toast. So nobody's blaming the Denver Broncos for being as active as, they, as they've been. You can understand how, that's, how, how that has unfolded. Uh, the Saints are at the top of this list simply because of that car contract, but there's been a couple of other splashes this offseason for them. Uh, the Colin Saunders, the uh, Jamal Williams running back ad, I thought was a very nice get coming away from Detroit. There were a bunch of contenders in on him, uh, and he chose the Saints. And I don't think they're done. I think there's maybe a Foster Moreau reunion with Derek Carr, a, a good tight end upgrade for that franchise that, I don't know, I swung and missed a couple times since the Jimmy Graham days and things like that. And then the Falcons. The Falcons are obviously pot invested here. Uh, nearly $300 million in total value. The guarantees fall off just a little bit. They've got about 150 guaranteed on that. And, you know, 10 free agents signed at nearly $100 million guaranteed. We saw this coming from a mile and a half away. Now, should they have added a quarterback to go with this major situation? The, the only one that made sense was Lamar. You know, certainly they're not going to be in the in the Garoppolo car situation because they have draft capital. They have Desmond Ritter on the roster. Are we going to kill him for doing everything they've done here and then throwing Ritter out there for a year? No, because you know what? That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to give the rookie contract at least a chance to percolate. And if it doesn't, then you got to be back at square one. But if it does, it is the best value in all of sports. So you can't you can't blame them for doing what they're doing. You know, bringing in Johnny Smith, bringing in some defensive weapons, which is obviously their biggest need, and reestablishing an offensive line that was very very good. They've paid a ton for Chris Linsom and Caleb McGarry and things like that. They're going to have to keep going on that. So they're doing this the right way, right? They haven't even really started to add the weapons. There's a couple of you know drop in the in the buckets, and Drake London is going to be a guy. But they're doing this the right way. They're building this defensively in the trenches. They've got their rookie quarterback that they're trying to develop in this, through this process. And then what you want now is a step forward, a flash from Ritter this year. And if you see it, then you Jalen Hurts this thing. Then you, then you add four weapons next offseason. You have a really fun free agency, maybe a big trade to swing as well. And then you give this kid the keys and say, all right, now it's your time to show us that you can take it to the next level. You'll be extension eligible after 2024. Everything can come together for all of us, including yourself, in one big season in 2024. So the Falcons are doing this the right way. It's just they could have, in my opinion, expedited this whole process by slapping a, a, an offer sheet on Lamar Jackson and bringing him into town immediately this season. That's a grand slam swing that certainly nobody appears to be ready to take right now. Um, but they're doing this the right way. And I, by the way, Denver, they're doing this the right way too. The Saints, I, I'm not a believer. <laughs> All right. I'm just going to be honest with you. If I'm breaking down these three spending teams, I wasn't a believer last year and they damn near got in anyway, right? They, they've, they've figured this out at least a little bit. 
but they've lost more players than they've added. They kept Michael Thomas around because they really just want that to work. And the dead cap's insane. So you might as well just restructure him. They gave him 10 million fully guaranteed. That breakdown's not now available on spot track as of this morning. Um, you know, they're seems like they're keeping Kamar. They restructured that contract and he's going to, he's maybe going to miss a couple of games with the suspension, but they brought in Jamal Williams. Like I mentioned, that's a decent ad. They've got a lobby on this roster. I think they're going to add another tight end. So they're giving Carr something. Now there's offensive line issues. There have been for the past couple of seasons that got old and expensive and they they haven't done a, a super great job of flipping that on the fly outside, outside of the center position. And, you know, they lost Davenport again this year. It was Lattimore last year. There, there's there's defensive question marks. Let's put it that way. But it's a weird division. So it doesn't make sense for them to go all the way down to the bottom like I probably thought they should have. They, they look around the room. Now Carolina's pushing, you know, and we know what Tampa can be in the right, in the right light. But is that going to be Baker Mayfield's team? Is that going to be Kyle Trask's team? Who knows? Uh, that's, that's not something you consider yourself against if you're the Saints. And then the Falcons are going to be better. But as I just laid out, they're probably not going to be a 9-10 win team yet. They're not, they're not really ready for that. There's a lot of new. There's a lot that has to gel. And they're going to, they're going to have to have the growing pains with Ritter if that's truly the plan. So I don't blame the Saints for going this gung-ho. And it really hasn't dropped them, you know, too much cash in the, in the escrow account here. Let's put it that way. Obviously, they were the big winner with Carr. They didn't have to do too much to retain Michael Thomas. They haven't really added that much new outside of that, right? It's been three, $4 million per year contracts at most. A uh, couple of defensive players, an edge rusher and Nathan Shepard. And uh, like I mentioned, Saunders at just $3 million a year. I think they just think they can piece this thing together and they've done it before. And they've done it for a decade, you know, with Breeze, without Breeze. Can they run away with the division? Absolutely not. That is still a complete toss-up, and you can't tell me that C.J. Stroud in Carolina isn't going to immediately hit the you know hit this ground running and turn that really nice, strong, solid base in Carolina into a really successful team. It's possible, but I get what the Saints are doing from a divisional standpoint. I'm just not sure it's the right approach from a franchise standpoint. You know, they had an opportunity to really rip it off and start this thing over again and move off a bunch of big contracts and they're not doing that. So I guess I have to applaud them for that, you know, in, in refusing to tank and refusing to rip it off. But, you know, and not signing Derek Carr and moving on from Thomas and moving on from Kamara and letting Davenport walk and, and moving on from Andrews Pete and a couple of other bigger pieces on this roster. I mean, they could have brought themselves into a situation where they're in legit company for, you know, the Caleb Williams, Williams conversation and, and, and the couple of quarterbacks that are really going to hit next year. And you hit on that. And it's, you know, you go from zero to 60 pretty quickly back in New Orleans. So uh, that was my approach for them. Uh, it, it appears that the Rams, right, are the ones taking that approach, even though Matthew Stafford's still going to win some ball games in that franchise and Cooper Cup is still there and Aaron Donald's still there. It appears that that's what the Rams consider themselves at least uh competitors for but i get it big spenders they look at that division they understand what they can be and they should be able to sneak into the into the playoffs in 2023 without too much effort uh and then of course the giants who signed the quarterback back have made some nice offseason moves i don't think they're done they brought back darius slayton they brought over paris campbell from the indianapolis Colts. that's kind of a flyer uh bobby okarecki is a is a nice get on the in the linebacker market 
That's a couple of contenders looking at him as well. So I, I think they're right on track to be who they were last year, if not a little bit better. Dallas is somewhat flatlined. You know, it's a similar Giants Cowboys conversation right now with this offseason, in my opinion. Commanders haven't done anything yet. Nothing with worth. They've, I think they've subtracted much more than they've added at this point in time. And uh, the Eagles, look, you can you can talk about Slay staying. You can talk about Cox coming back and Brandon Graham coming back. And yes, that's all going to be effective. I still think they lost too much this offseason. It's my approach. I still think the offense is going to score some points. The defense is going to be extremely suspect. It's an aging defense. There's not a lot of firepower. They lost TJ Evers. They lost Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Uh, there's more more names coming on that defense to move off of. But as I'll get to in a second here, they can sneak a couple names back in because there's some there's a couple of edge rushers, there's a couple of DTs, there's even a couple of safeties out there that can really fill in the blanks probably fairly cheap at this time. And why wouldn't you pick the Eagles, right? Over the Buccaneers or whoever else needs is competing for that current position right now. So the teams that are starting to sort of sitting around a little bit here. It's, it's okay. If, you, if you're one of the teams, if you're a fan of a team that hasn't done much this offseason, you should probably think differently. Don't think about, well, my team's you know cheap or my team doesn't know what the hell they're doing. We have a terrible GM. How about, is my team already pretty damn good? And that's how I want to finish here on this little segment. Uh, I'm local to the Buffalo Bills. You might even know that. And it's really difficult right now. This was a big offseason for Buffalo. You know, there was a lot of pieces moving out, a lot of moving parts, some big holes that were going to be expensive to fill. And, you know, as we sit right now, I'm not sure the Bills have filled half of the holes they thought they needed to fill. They've added some some weapons and they've got themselves a new left guard in Connor McGovern from Dallas. And, you know, the the sentiment around here locally is, well, there's so much work left to be done and they only have 13 million in cap space. And what about the draft? And there's just a lot of moving parts. And what I keep telling people here, and I, I think this qualifies for a heck of a lot of teams out there, especially the good ones who, you know, may, maybe have made one or two moves like this, but not addressed everything yet. Right. If you were looking at a list of team needs and your team has five and they've addressed two, are you freaking out? Should you be freaking out or should you be looking around saying, you know what? This team is pretty damn good. <laughs> Right, the, the Buffalo Bills this time last year, or maybe right April first last year, were widely considered the best roster, total roster in all of football, and certainly they were they were considered that heading into the season. Uh, I mean, the Eagles, I think, were neck and neck there at some point in time. Has 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 a lot really changed for the Buffalo Bills? No, no. Now Devin Singletary is still hanging out there. Uh, there's a couple more free agents still hanging out there, but they've added a gadget weapon in Deontay Hardy, who's going to return some punts, who's certainly going to be a slot outside receiver as needed. I think they're going to bring back Jameson Crowder to fill another role. There's another wide receiver to grab in a draft here. Jordan Poyer back at one for seven. Okay. That was a complete surprise. So that has to settle some Buffalo Bills, you know, minds a little bit here. They brought in the left guard at not even 10 million guaranteed on a three-year contract. They brought in a backup quarterback. Case Keenum got $4 million guaranteed from the Houston Texans. They brought in Kyle Allen from Houston at $350,000 guaranteed. Kyle Allen's going to be a, a, just a fine fill-in-the-blank guy as long as he gets up to speed on the system, and that may take a bit. And I mentioned Hardy, uh, the wide receiver punt returner weapon, at less than $5 million guaranteed at sign. So they're, they're operating like they need to be, which is 
you know, we were one of the top cash teams in the league the past couple of seasons, obviously because of Allen and because of Diggs. They've done all their structures they need to do at this point. And there's more available. They restructured Miller. They restructured Allen. They restructured Diggs. They've extended Matt Milano, which lowered his cap hit this year, gave him basically two years, fully guaranteed at $14 million a year. They've A couple of pay cuts have come in and Tim Settle and Naheem Hines. They were moved down from Isaiah McKenzie. They're active. All right. And there's not much, you know, add, subtract necessary. Now, Tremaine Edmonds is the big loss. You know, you got 18 million a year, 50 million guaranteed from the Bears. Nobody's competing with that. That was the one of the early gigantic slam dunk signings. And the Bears were all in. That the Bears have probably been eyeing that with that contract, knowing that was going to get him in the door for eight, you know, you know, eight weeks, truly, since December, when Tremaine really showed himself late in the season for the Bills. That was obviously the guy, if he didn't get the franchise tag, that the Bears had had identified immediately and brought in as quickly as humanly possible. So that's a loss. Can you fill an inside linebacker, an off-ball linebacker in the draft? Yep. Can you do it late in free agency? Yep. Can you do it via trade in August? Yes. All right. Now, you're not bringing a 24-year-old million, you know, 24 year old stud that you drafted and groomed and developed into your system who became the captain of your defense. That's not replaceable. But you can put two to three bodies there in that position over the course of 17 weeks and get a decent amount of production out of that position. It's just one of those turnover roles. It's a revolving door position. So I don't think Buffalo and and if your team's in this boat, right, Philadelphia, shouldn't be freaking out about not having replaced an off-ball linebacker or not having replaced the running back yet. You shouldn't be rushing to replace those positions. Truly, in my opinion, if you're at the top of of the standings, if you're the Bears, yes. That's a huge position of need. That solidifies the center of your defense at which you can now build around it, right? It's the, it's the epicenter of a, of a system that you are trying to develop from the ground up. So I give them a ton of credit. It's why I'm not going to kill the Baltimore Ravens for the Roquan Smith move. It looks crazy, right? Because they got a quarterback in limbo and an inside linebacker on 20 million a year, two years, two and a half years guaranteed. But that's the mindset that they had. The mindset is, we're not going to lose Lamar because we're going to match an offer or a franchise tag. And so he's still going to be here. So the center of our offense is still going to be available to us. We now need a center of the defense because our secondary is somewhat turning over here in the next year or two. We need a guy in the middle that is the focal point of this defense. That is the vocal leader of this defense. And they got one because they're, they're, you know, one of the best teams in their division. if not the AFC. I'm not going to kill him for that. There's a right time and a wrong time to address certain positions. And if you're Buffalo, and you're still one of the best rosters in all of football, those two positions, notably, they can wait. They can wait. Now, will I be eating my words when they can't run the ball again this year? Maybe. <laughs> I might, right? But here, let's get into it. And I'll start with running backs. Available running backs in free agency. Devin Singletary, as for mentioned, the Buffalo, the Buffalo running back that was drafted the past four years. Kareem Hunt, Damian Harris, Leonard Fournette, Zeke Elliott. There's 10 more. I just gave you five off the top of the list there. Any one of those players, with the exception of Fernet, in my opinion, who might be toast, can come in and contribute massively for a run-and-shoot offense like the Bills have been. Massively. And most likely, they're just going to bring Singletary back on like $3 million a year for three years, something around there. Because now we're in week two. Now the, you know, the things have dropped. You know, Zeke Elliott has made his money. He's going he's gonna to jump onto a contender most likely at cost, right? So... You don't freak out about that stuff. It's going to be fine. It's going to be just fine. 
Let's run it. Ready? Quarterbacks available. Top, I'm just giving you notable names, and you can laugh at me if I say a name that isn't notable, like Carson Wentz, who's on this list still, Teddy Bridgewater, and of course, Lamar. Lamar's available. It's just nobody's making an offer. Wide receivers, OBJ. I want to talk about this for a second. I threw out a fun exercise last week where I projected what it might take to get him at 15 million a year because that was the going rumor how take of the time on Twitter. It's doable to get him at two for 30. Is he a two for 30 player? Hell no. But if there's six teams after him, somebody might have to go 12. So I gave you the framework of what you can do with big numbers to make it work on your cap, to make it work from a cash perspective and something that I think he would sign if there truly is a bidding war for the player. What do I think OBJ is actually going to get from the Giants, the Bills, who certainly need that kind of weapon still, especially if he's complimentary? I'd say one year, $8 million with a chance to make it 12 Truly. That, that's the contract I think OBJ is worth right now. I would not give him a second year. Now, he, you might have to. If there's four or five teams in, that might be the comp, you know, what he's looking for. He might also say, I don't want the second year right now. All I want is one year healthy to be able to reestablish myself, go out there now and get two at 15 next year. He's getting a little old, so that might be a bad plan. But one for eight with the chance to get to 12, that seems right. The Chiefs can do it. The Bills can do it. The Eagles can do it. You know, anybody else, certainly Dallas, although I think they're, the Brandon Cooks trade is a, maybe a shot that they're done with the OBJ conversation. But available wide receivers, DJ Chark, OBJ, McCole Hardman, Kansas City, Marvin Jones Jr. Getting a little up there, but still produced a ton for Jacksonville. Julio Jones, I don't know, maybe not. And Jarvis Landry, I don't know, maybe not. Tight ends. I mentioned Forrest Moreau, or Foster Moreau, excuse me. I, I do think since he's in, but I do believe the Saints with Derek Carr makes the most sense for that. And what about Dalton Schultz? You know, franchise tag from the Dallas Cowboys. Didn't get a second tag this year. Yeah, he's been banged up. And yes, for some reason, the Cowboys offense just completely excluded him last year. This guy can still catch a bunch of balls for you. Now, he's a one-trick pony. He's not going to block too much for you. At least he didn't in Dallas's system. But there are teams out there that are going to need this. There's no question about it. Um, I wouldn't put this past the Jets, who might be bringing in a quarterback soon that loves having a good, reliable tight end next to him. I wouldn't put, put this past the Bills in lieu of a wide receiver at being added again, this, this free agency. How about a, a pass-catching tight end that can go with Dawson Knox? Um, but Schultz is going to get much, much less than I think he should get, which is in, tw- in the 11-12 range, right? Gusecki came way down. Most of these tight ends are getting much, much less than we expected, which is not good news, by the way, okay? Because this was already a flatline market. I mean, the Kittle, Kelsey, Andrews money is stale. It is nowhere near where the cap has gone right? Everybody else is going way, way up. And that, that tight end market is completely plateaued. So this is bad news because at one point in time, Mike Isecki and Dalton Schertz were, were, was a really nice one-two punch about to hit the open market. They took their franchise tag, they cratered on it, and now they're nowhere. So it's a bit of a concern with the tight end position that nobody's really, really locking in right now. Now, I think Hawkinson gets a decent deal in Minnesota, maybe. But outside of that, you know, Kyle Pitts has had a rough start here in the, you know, 18 months or so of injury. Can he get himself back in the conversation so that a rookie extension after 2023 is in play? We'll see. But outside of that, it's been a rough couple of years for tight end contracts. So not, not looking much better this offseason. Offensive lineman, Dalton Risner is leaving the Broncos. He's, he's an able guard. Uh, the, the other counter McGovern out from the Jets is available. So is Ben Jones, a couple of centers there. 
Left tackles, you got Donovan Smith, Isaiah Wynn, you know, flyers, guys that really just didn't produce to their level, at least aren't doing it anymore. And then Taylor Lewan might just be too old and injured to, to really latch on with anybody of, of importance at this point in time. So, you know, you're kind of washed in that regard. I thought Laramie Tunzel was going to be a big, big trade candidate. And the Texans said, no, we're going to lock him into the biggest total value contract uh, at $25 million a year here in the history of offensive tackles. So they know what's coming. There's a brand new shiny quarterback coming and Larry Mutunzel being there is better than not being there for them. Edge rushers. I feel like these two names have been here every year for a decade. Jadavian Clowney and Yannick Ngakwe, both available still. Both worth about $4 million in my book. Frank Clark and Leonard Floyd are interesting. Uh, both chopped off of good teams, obviously. Frank Clark is not old. And I, th- I, I still think there's a 12-sack season in him, maybe a couple. Now, is he willing to accept one for six or two for 12 or I guess two for 14 or 16 if somebody wants to get there with him? Because I don't think he's getting anywhere near what he was even restructuring for in Kansas City the past couple of seasons. But I think you're looking at a Justin Houston type situation where, you know, Baltimore came in so late on Houston or Kilias Campbell, right? And got double digit sacks for years out of those players. I think this is what Frank Clark's destiny is. So if you're a contender, I wouldn't wait too long on that one. And, you know, Leonard Floyd may be a, a, a junior version of this conversation. I still think there's a good season or two left in him, although really flatlined last year. I think Frank Clark, of all these names, and, you know, there's some names here, I think he might be the best available free agent. Is that crazy? Is that really that crazy to say? I mean, he's a game-changing player when he's right. And I realize that there's a lot of miles on him. But he's not an off-the-field you know, liability anymore. He's gone through that. He's been an absolute stud for Kansas City and a rock for Kansas City next to Chris Jones. If you've got an interior line that just needs a little help on the edge, I don't really know what you're waiting for on this outside of the fact that he's simply just asking for too much and you're waiting for his price to drop. I would expect that to get done quickly. Now... It also may be that Kansas City really wants him back, had to get out of that freaking contract, and he wants to be back. So they're simply just trying to work it out on a one-to-one scenario, and he's not even really talking to other teams. That's pliable as well. But that's a name that, to me, does not belong in week two. It just doesn't belong. So there's either extenuating circumstances happening behind the scenes that I don't know about and we don't know about, and or teams aren't willing to go, you know, even second-tier money on this player anymore. Somebody should. Because I think he's a game changer. I, I really do. A couple of cornerbacks. Rocky Sin's going to go. Uh, he's going he's gonna to find a really good home, uh, possibly with a contender. Marcus Peters should have some a year or two left. Uh, it's probably a one-year deal to latch on. And Shaq Griffin was released out of Jacksonville. Certainly an able body to add to a secondary right now. The safety market's really interesting. I mentioned the player contract, that one for seven guarantee. It's a two for, you know, it's two and change, but really a one for seven. You know, outside of Jesse Bates, and those numbers are finally in, and it's big. And by the way, the Falcons had to do this. I mentioned this on the last show. The Falcons had to go big on Jesse Bates to get him. That's the, that was a Tremaine Edmonds type move for them. They, their secondary has been garbage. Even AJ Terrell, a player who I think is going to be a, a big contract here soon, didn't have a good 2022. So, you know, bringing Bates on 64 over four, 36 fully guaranteed, you know, I don't think anybody was even close to approaching that. But that was one of those where you basically say, that's what we need. And we're going to go 
8% higher than every other offer that's going to be out there so that he says, I cannot say no to this contract. And that's what they did. But the safety market after him has been in the tank, gone. If you're a safety hit in the open market, teams believe there's a reason for it and they are not willing to flex. Jordan Poyer should have found 10 million a year. He should have found two for 20. The Dolphins should have been in. The Cowboys should have been in. I guess when the Rams were buying and not selling, they were should, should have been in this player. Any of these teams that are at least fringe contenders in their division and their conference should have been considering, considering Jordan Poyer because yes, he had an injury filled 2022, but he is an impact player. He plays reckless to the point of he can literally change the game, stopping the run and in coverage. And Buffalo got him back at one for seven. So it's a win for Buffalo. I think it's a win for Jordan Poyer, right? He could have gone to a situation that simply didn't work for him. He knows what he's doing next to Micah Hyde for one more year. Uh, but man, it's been a rough go. You've got some names out there. Taylor Rapp out of the Rams. John Johnson was post June 1st out of Cleveland. You know, there's a more box safeties a little bit, which is a, a kind of a dying art in this league right now. And then Adrian Amos, a, a guy who's bounced around the NFC North quite a bit, but he can still play. He can still play, and Detroit might might reconsider a, a relationship with him again because they've really added in the past couple of days or so. They, they took the second wave of free agency very seriously and started with David Montgomery and went from there. So Lions are a name to watch here over the next couple of weeks. Baltimore is going to get involved. Green Bay is going to get involved now. Uh, I expect Kansas City and Buffalo to make a couple of tinker ads here. And like I said, I think the Saints and the Bengals also have some some names here on this list on their big board and are, are willing to slap it down soon. So uh, don't freak out. You know, if your team's waiting to week, week two and they're a good team, there's probably a lot of logic with that. You know, and yes, the draft is the, the other side of this, uh, of this mountain, right? There's a lot of positions that teams simply say, we're waiting till round three, we're waiting till round four, because we have a lot of data that says, instead of paying 8 million per year in free agency, we can simply pay 8 million for four years in round three, and get a hell of a lot more value out of it, which is something we need because our quarterback's worth $45 million a year. Those are the decisions being made, Mel. That's the discussions and conversations happening, and it's only going to get worse as we certainly round back into quarterback extension conversations for Hertz and Burrow and Herbert, and of course, Lamar. Okay, another big NFL show. I'm dying to get to baseball. It's literally, it's killing me that I haven't talked about baseball this long. Cousin Dan is having a big week where he's going all sorts of prop bets, right? He's going to consider some MVPs, some batting titles, some divisional champions, and then we're finally going to do this over-under because we're 10 days away from opening day in Major League Baseball, believe it or not. I know the WBC has sort of taken over here in terms of spring training, but uh, WBC final tonight, USA, certainly worth a watch. Japan, Shohei Otani, speaking of names and big money. And then I promise you this week, I'm going to throw this NFL crap to the side I'm going to have Keith Smith on to talk basketball. I'm going to have Cousin Dan on to talk baseball. And we're going to do a three-week pod, a three-pod week, non-NFL related from here out. I promise you. I'm dying for it. So if, uh, if you're an NFL-only listener, I'll see you on Sunday. And if you're not, you know, give us a shot with the, uh, with the other couple of sports here because Keith is a, a brilliant NBA mind. And by the way, uh, late show announcement here. We locked him up. He's ours now. Not super exclusively. We're still letting him dabble in some other elements because he just loves to do it. He's so freaking good at this stuff. But uh, we're really excited to increase our relationship with Keith and even have more things coming. I think he's going to have a pod. I think he's going to do a newsletter. He's certainly going to be more involved with the tools on the website and, and enhancing those and making it more fun and interactive for you to manage an NBA roster and things like that. Um, him and Scott Allen are 
working at it feverishly every single day, talking behind the scenes and kind of leaving me out of it, which is good because they, uh, they are the MBA side of this coin. So excited for that for sure. We'll have Keith on to talk about that a little bit. And then also the finish line, right? We're about 15 games out of the regular season. And then it's time to start talking about NBA postseason, right? After March Madness recaps itself. So other sports are coming. I need it. I need it in my life. And uh, like I said, not the best of NFL free agencies, but we're making it work. And at the end of the day, there's going to be 3 billion in contracts. So they're making it work too. All right. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast. <laughs>